All right, so this is the decaf recap. We're back again. I have a new guest for the first time in a while. Uh, Ash Dreiker is with me. (laughs) And today we are going to be talking about Alien. A favorite. Everything alien, xenomorphs, protomorphs, neomorphs. We'll get into that later. Definitely. (laughs) Space jockeys. Oh, God. (laughs) I know they're called the engineers, but space jockeys kind of sounds better. It's funny because you say space jockey and like the light bulb goes off in my head. Whereas if you say engineer, I'm like, huh? What are you talking about? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so for for clarification, you want to start with the prequels and we can just call them space jockeys? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, why not? (laughs) All right, so Alien, it's, it's been in the uh, back again, back-ish, with mainly a lot of prequels. I don't know why they keep on doing just prequels for stuff, but what do you think of Prometheus, Ash? Well, we just discussed my phone case, which is a drawing I did of David Eight in a skin-tight suit. Um, I might be a little biased because Michael Fassbender is so yummy, but <laughs> I happen to be a pretty big fan of uh, Prometheus. I do like... Um, Covenant 2, but I don't think it holds a candle to, you know, Alien or Aliens. Like, not even close. So, so I do agree that Prometheus has its moments. Alien Covenant, I hate a lot. And Prometheus, <laughs> I only don't like Prometheus because of, of certain points that, that makes the movie kind of fall apart for me. But it has Idris Elba. It has a great cast. It has good effects. It's just whatever happened with the story. Like, the, the yummy parts for the story are in the lore. For me, it's just, we'll, we'll get in that second. But yeah, Alien Covenant came out, I think, was it last year or two years ago? Two years ago. Two, 2017. Yep. It does not feel like a 2017 movie. I know, right? It's, oh my goodness. I thought it was like sooner than that or earlier. Whatever. I think I was, <laughs> no, I wasn't. But it feels like I was still in high school when that movie came out, which is weird. That's a weird feeling. I think just because like it's existed for so long and it's still in pop culture, right? Right. Like, when people think of aliens, they think of the xenomorph. It's just, it's completely foreign in its, in its design. Having said that, like how they introduced it in Prometheus, I thought that was kind of cool because it's like an end credits thing where you realize, oh, there's more to this story. And if you're a longtime fan, you realize, oh, that's a space jockey. Yeah. This whole time they've been talking about space jockeys. Right. So that was a cool Trojan horse. But this is where I hate the movie. What is the crew doing? <laughs> Well, you can't have an alien movie without incompetent crew, obviously. Clearly. They've mastered <laughs> space travel. They discover alien life, and they make that a big deal. They say, like, if you find alien life, boom. You can't, like, talk to them. You can't do anything. Company policy for some reason. <laughs> like, they've had restraining orders put on them. Oh, my God. But the crew is immediately, nothing changes with them. Their conversations are very weird about the, finding aliens. They're depressed finding aliens. They just made the largest discovery in mankind's history. And they're just like, oh, just what's going on? In 10 hours, they, they kind of rush the whole expedition. It doesn't feel like an expedition. I know. Having said that, in, in its defense, I'll say this much, uh, Alien, the first Alien, right? They get to the site. They stay there with the space jockey for like a second. And then they have to go back. But the reason why they go back to the ship and take off is because one of their uh, members got infected. Yeah. So there's a reason for why they like get away from the, the the alien ship in the first place. In this, they just kind of linger, and threats come, but they don't really take off right away. I feel like they made the whole crew expendable just because of how they filmed it. Um, 
by all means, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong when I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I think it's hard to say you're wrong because this definitely comes down to taste and everyone has, you know, different expectations when they go to sci-fi and horror. And I kind of see um, the Alien series more as a horror series than a sci-fi series. I feel like that's just kind of the veneer they put over it to make it a little more interesting, a little more unique. Fair enough. Um so how it functions as a horror movie, that's what's most attractive to me. Because when you think of horror movies nowadays, it's very, I, I hate to say boring, but it is boring because it's like so formulaic, you know, exactly what you're going into. And there's like, you can see every plot point, you know, in the three act stru structure as it happens right in front of your eyes. And you're like, well, there's no suspension of belief here. Yes. I know <laughs> I'm watching a horror movie. I know that all the characters are going to die. And it's like, why am I even here? <laughs> and that's the genius, definitely, of the original Alien series. Um, when I say original Alien series, I mostly mean the first two movies. Like, I do love the third and fourth movies, you know, for some of their moments, but definitely the first two movies I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm definitely. sure you agree with that. Oh, yeah. It's it's hard to find, because I love sci-fi horror, uh, and, and just the first Alien movie, and then Aliens, is just spectacular. Uh, Aliens is arguably more of an action movie, but it still is horrific. Yeah, yeah, it is more of an action movie. I'm glad you brought that up because it does feel so different from the first Alien movie. I it, it's hard to understand why I still have so much nostalgia and love for that movie when I typically don't really like lean towards action based movies. Part of it has to do with the James Cameron sauce. <laughs> the James Cameron sauce. Because he just he knows how to make a good sequel, even if he does like change the genre and make it an action movie. He knows how to make it work, and it you know. It, it is a good movie how it falls through. It introduces characters that we want to get to know. Uh, Ridley's perspective is, is very much expanded upon, partly as her as a mother, the situation of space travel affecting like how she's like much older, right. which is actually a real thing, like with theory, theory relativity. We won't get too scientific into it, but if you travel <laughs> speed of light, like everything around you does like uh, uh, kind of speed up. Like you'll see the same age, but your parents or your, your, your children will become like grandchildren. Have you seen Interstellar? Interstellar shows yeah. that beautifully. Yeah. And I do want to cover that movie in depth because everything Christian Bale touches, <laughs> either Christopher, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey? Matthew McConaughey. No, no, no. The uh, director is. Uh, oh, the director. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I, now I feel on, bad. It's <laughs> based on his name, not Christian Bale. It's uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, Christopher Nolan. There you go. Everything Christopher Nolan does is great. And we will get to him. If he did a, an alien movie, would it be fun? I think it would be a headache because <laughs> Prometheus was a headache. And imagine if it was written by someone who actually knows how to write their own series. No offense, Ridley true. Scott. No, no offense. Ridley Scott, he's good. You know, like you don't have the alien franchise without Ridley Scott. Absolutely. At the same time, it's just with Prometheus, uh, it's I, I don't like how the crew acts. So for me, like I'm alienated away from that. Yeah. Um, I thought the most interesting characters was uh, uh, Waylon, and because that's something that's been in the, the just the the lore of all of uh, Alien, like from the first Alien. Waylon, Waylon, that's uh, that's Guy Pierce under eight pounds of latex makeup, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Guy Pierce. I need to make sure. I need a little refreshing. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he, you know, he's just, he, he's hunched over. He's on the edge of his deathbed. He he created an entire company. Right. Right. Waylon Yutani. And, and they're like, you know, in the, the first Alien movie, they're just the evil company, right? Yeah. Send them out there, and they just happen to know. They're just like, whatever's out there, it's an alien species we've never seen before, but it is like the perfect organism. Yes. And this seems to wrap back to the idea with uh, Alien Covenant and Prometheus that the Whalen Company is indirectly responsible for the aliens. Now, 
what do you think of the whaling company? Like how it's shown in Prometheus? Is it fun to you or is it just like, meh? Well, I have the unique perspective of having seen Prometheus before the original Alien movie, which is very strange to say out loud because definitely Alien is a better movie than Prometheus, but Prometheus is what ignited my alien love. So I kind of went into it with a backwards perspective of Wayland. You don't know that Wayland's a terrible company until like pretty much the end of the movie. Right. Okay. And then, you know, it gets extrapolated upon um, in Covenant. But by that point, I had already seen the rest of the Alien series by the time I saw Alien Covenant. Um, I kind of enjoyed the depiction of Wayland Yutani, or I guess at that point it was just Wayland mm -hmm. in uh, Prometheus, mostly because I was most attracted to the character of David A. And I feel like you can't have David A. without Wayland and Wayland's corporation. Right. Um, that said, it's like you kind of just forget about it. Like once it's introduced, you kind of forget that it's a plot point and you're more focused on like the aliens and like the the engineers are the space jockeys and <laughs> like their inception. Cause I feel like um, the most interesting part of the alien prequels is this whole existential notion they get into with like creators versus creations playing God and kind of like how, you know, the engineers have the xenomorphs and now humanity has AI. Like, I love that shit. I just gobble <laughs> it up. That's my favorite thing about uh, science fiction is playing with existentialism and specifically artificial intelligence. And I, I will, I will grant Prometheus has uh, delivered on that fairly well. Yes, absolutely. Because even though the character of Wayland, we get to see him very little, he's essential to what pushes everyone towards there. Because it's yeah. the Part of it's just the idea of a pioneer expedition, but then there's a darker side of that through Whalen, which is, you know, how far is too far yeah. in playing God, making Frankenstein's monster. What's really interesting about that is, you, you know how they, in Prometheus, they arrived to this site and they, they were told to like, go here. They have all these, this like map, mm -hmm. these ancient maps left by the, the space the, jockeys. The cavemen paintings or whatever. All telling them, just go to this right. area way off, like light years away. They do. What's interesting is this is where the lore comes in because my brother's obsessed with this movie <laughs> and I don't blame him for it because the lore is actually super cool. Mm -hmm. They figure out that the site that they came to is about like 2,000 years old. Yes. Like something happened 2,000 years ago and it just got like uh, decimated mm -hmm. and everyone died. Well, then you have uh, 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 Idris Elba who doesn't play a huge role in the movie, but he states right as they land, it's Christmas, the birth of Christ, 2,000 years ago. So it matches up with our own calendar. What's interesting is people investigate this further, and you know you have, um, I forget her name, but like the main character, the female protagonist. Shaw. Shaw. She gives birth right uh, right after the uh, uh, Christmas Day to basically like the Antichrist. Like, and there's a plot point earlier in the movie where she talks about being infertile. Yes, so very much a Virgin Mary. Yeah. In like the the more you know scientific fucked up way. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what's crazy is a lot of people put this together. They made their uh, their discourse. They went on like Wikipedia. They wrote entire articles about it. And this I find interesting is they find out. The reason why the engineer in the movie attacks and starts just like just hating humanity immediately after waking up is because he was part of the group that was trying to destroy humanity because 2,000 years ago we crucified Christ and Christ in this story is supposed to be a space jockey. So because we murdered one of their own who was just trying to help them, some of the space jockeys were like, okay, we got to kill humanity. And they invented the black goo and they were going to create xenomorphs. 
And then the rest of them were like, no, we can't, we can't do that to humanity. We can't play God. So 2,000 years ago, the whole experiment gone wrong that like Wayland and Shaw and the rest of the crew discover, mm-hmm. all of that uh, is very much tied into a like ancient aliens version of interpretation of the Bible. That was all cool. <laughs> I like that. Without Action Bronson, unfortunately. Yes, without yeah. Action Bronson. <laughs> That's interesting. Is that all speculation? Because I thought that the plot wasn't that obvious. Like, like why they go there, like what happened to the engineers, et cetera, et cetera. It really isn't. And this is very much just, you know, speculation. That's what I, I wanted to make sure of that because – that's an interesting take. That's honestly hilarious. Like, obviously, there's the um, there's very clear parallels to Christian, you know, Bible stories. Like, yeah. That's like so apparent. But <laughs> kind of thinking of a space jockey as a Jesus, you know, martyr figure coming to Earth, and when we kill him, Jesus space jockey. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. I, I I just had to comment on that quick. And whether or not that's that's true or not, it's it's just a situation where I think it does. Like it, it just is supposed to tie back in some shape or form. The movie is supposed to tie back to, like you said, existential uh, crises, the fears of playing God. Um, and that is just kind of under the table type of stuff. But to me, that's only undermined. Like the existentialism is undermined by how the crew works because you're supposed to like, you know, feel for the characters when they stumble upon something that they had like no control over. And the first big, like, I don't know, milestone in, uh, in ruining the movie for me was, was, the uh, the geologist and his nerd pal. <laughs> <laughs> They're cute. They kind of have a bromance going on. They have a bromance going on, and it's cool how they kind of bond under like the fear, right? The common fear of just like whatever we're doing here is is just wrong. I know. It's like we hate each other, but now we're we're trapped in this stinky lake together. So right. underground lake with weird larvae. But it's how they get trapped that I can't that annoys me because the geologist guy he makes the map. Yeah, he makes the map of the whole area. So how does he get lost? <laughs> to his credit, they're on this like completely foreign planet, right? That's very true. They only have any information about it from cave paintings that these two other people discovered. That's very true. Like he could easily get lost, but if they get lost, why do they just like abandon them? The rest of the crew just like took off. That's my gripe. That feels a little too convenient to the plot. It's like, oh, we have to get rid of these two characters so things kind of, you know, propel forward. And it's like, well, let's just leave them behind for some reason. It's just a lot of the crew's decisions don't make sense. And Mm -hmm. to the movie's credit, I imagine some sort of suspense arises from like, you know, crew's mishaps and like just being stupid. Like you see that in every horror movie, like someone makes a stupid decision. You're like, well, I wouldn't have done that. But like, (laughs) what do you account in for like the fear of death and adrenaline? You might make stupid decisions from time to time. That makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Right. (laughs) So like, I get that. And I think that horror movies should have that element, but this felt way too convenient. Like that specific moment in the movie felt way too convenient. I I share your, your frustration with it. And then the nerd friend, friend. I don't remember his actual name or like what his position was. I think he was like, cause he's like the biologist or something like that. Yeah. They have like the geologist and the biologist and like they hate each other because apparently, you know, if you study rocks, you're stupid. And if you study slime, you're stupid. I don't know why they had beef. I really don't. It was, it was weird. I get the idea that like, there's just like, you know, not the character styles to get along, but when they are lost, the biologist does something really weird to me. He discovers an alien life form. Like, yes. And even in like the uh, behind the scenes or deleted footage, they explain like they only found microbacteria on other planets, never like worms or insects. Yeah, or 
other life. Advanced intelligent life. He discovers something the size of a snake, and his first instinct is to poke it. <laughs> <laughs> that is played up for laughs, though, because um, the geologist gets mad at him. He's like, why are you playing with it? He's like, it's a snake. You know, he just looks so excited like a kid at the zoo for the first time. And I guess I get that. Like, that's in that character's, you know, personality. If there are a... Uh, uh, not geologists. If they're a biologist, of course they're going to get excited by alien life. It's never seen before. Like, that's what they're so excited about. That's very true. At the same time, and like, you know, they got their spacesuits on, so you get the idea that they're they're safe from like any... Protected. Well, maybe it feigns protection for them as well. Like, we look at it and we're like, well, this is a horror movie. I know that something's going to go wrong. And and to the to the like the, the credit of like the, the like the background information for the story, you get the idea that Whalen put together a crew that is highly expendable. Yes. Because David Wright, he sabotages the crew multiple times. Yes. <laughs> and so it's the idea like, okay, these guys might not be the best at what they do in order just to experiment on them. But how they they could have they could have like brought that up in other conversations prior to that. Like, why does the geologist get lost? Why does the biologist why is he so fascinated but uh, so um, uncautious? Mm-hmm. They could have like had Idris Elba, one of the other characters who was like the boss, be like, "This crew is pathetic. Like, we should have chose, we should have handpicked them, or something like that." Yes. That would have been cool because then it's like, "Oh, wait a minute, they're not qualified for this. Like, they're going in uncharted territory, and they're not experts. They're not even professionals." Yes. And then they just then they just up and die, and the deaths are gruesome. Like when I first saw Prometheus, I was just like, "That is terrifying." <laughs> I love that. I feel like visceral horror should be visceral. Yeah. Like you know. I don't want to say the, the the R word, but like, you know, there are definitely rape allegories with how the xenomorph kills you, like very hardcore rape allegories. And that's visceral. Yeah. They should definitely touch on that more in their horror aspects. Definitely. And that part of that is, uh, that undertone is there because of H.G. Giger and how he, or Geiger, how he invented as the artist, like created the, the outfits and just the design, the aesthetic of the uh, xenomorphs. And Prometheus very much complements his idea of like, you know, what's terrifying. And it's just the idea of like this parasitic organism, right? That only exists to mate and eat just like anything in its yeah. way. And that, 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 that is very terrifying and how they show it is horrifying. But my God, like just the fact that they have a, a, the first kill scene doesn't have like a lot of, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't have blood. It's gory, but there's no blood. Yes. That is actually pretty impressive. I, I will give credit where credit's due, where it just they knew how to work with sound and the the fear of working with some sort of like super strong, dangerous alien. That was all cool. But then it goes immediately back to the stupidity. David is cool, but how he's messing with people, like the other scientists, <laughs> he's depressed after discovering alien life. And he's like, they're all dead. It's <laughs> I know, aren't you excited? Of course they're dead. Of course they're dead. <laughs> you should just be excited that you were right, that they existed. Yeah. Like, they could have gone more into depth with, like, maybe why he was, maybe had unrealistic expectations for why he expected um, um, to find them. Like, maybe maybe he's super religious and had some sort of faith. Like, this is it. This is all things Shot connected. It. They, Shot it. Yeah, yeah, Shaw had her faith. And I think that was one of the big aspects of Covenant was kind of challenging Shaw's faith because, like, David takes on this God figure and like mm-hmm. Shaw is like his Virgin Mary, except he's actually in love with her. Like, you know, continuing this allegory for literally, you know, Christian characters. I found that very interesting as well. I agree. And David is an interesting and very complex character with his relationship with his 
so-called father uh, who's just Wayland. Yes. And how Wayland has these views him as a son, but at the same time, in his own words, like calling him a son, alienates him because he's like, oh, he, he's a machine. He can't, he doesn't have like a soul. And that's that exact statement is what leads David to do atrocious things. Now, I love the dynamic towards the end because you you do feel for these characters and like the trauma they've been through. But then Alien Covenant gets rid of Shaw off screen. I know. I know. And it's just like, it, it's horrifying. Like when you find out like, ooh, something happened to her and you don't know what. At the same time, like why did they repeat the same mistake as Alien 3? Like Alien Aliens hyped up all these new characters and the idea that Ridley now had some form of future. And then they kill them all off off screen and it's like right back where we started like i don't mind going back to point zero but you kind of have to earn that like you make us really feel for like are these characters gonna live are they gonna die because like you just i lost interest immediately when i realized shaw was dead i know i feel like um shaw and david were kind of the two biggest components of prometheus that made the movie memorable that made it interesting because i think both of their character dynamics and their character um motivations tie in a lot to that existentialism like Shaw not being able to create and David not feeling like he has you know like any sort of humanity like the essence of being alive if we can call that humanity like they have very two interesting character um, paths so to know that one of them killed the other in Covenant in the most grotesque way like we know (laughs) that David does some pretty shitty terrible things but oh my god no one expected him to do what he did to Shaw that was awful I think most people who are fans of the series were like they just that was null like they they had to cross that one from the books that's terrible I think it would have been so much more interesting because like the the crew in Alien Covenant is so forgettable but I think it would have been interesting if the crew, maybe they first discover David and they see him as the good guy and then something's attacking them and they realize, oh, whatever the thing is that was attacking them upon like the alien threat, it wasn't attacking them. It was trying to kill David and it was Shaw. Like maybe Shaw has like some sort of uh, 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 space jockey armor to protect herself from the contagion on the on the home world of the uh, space jockeys in um, Alien Covenant. And so because she doesn't look human, everyone thinks she's the monster. Yeah. If they did that, I would have been like, oh, this is a story of nothing as what we think is as it seems. Yeah. But no, they just – and David is a cool character. Like every, like everyone should love uh, uh, Michael Fassbender and his role as David. And then they even introduce like a, another version of him who's – Walter. Walter. Yep. Walter and, the, and David have an interesting uh, back and forth because not only do they represent um, – in like newer models of uh, newer model versus the old model, they also represent the concept of like I don't know uh, the the idea of like love and the idea of duty because those are two things they talk about um, with the idea of David and his just his entire upbringing of humanity through um, what's his name ah, Wayland why can't I never remember Wayland? that's okay but it, it, you know leads him to be like oh well I served all these people who said they were creating paradise and it was you know it was worthless it was worthless to me because I was a slave so I'll create Hell, I'll, I'll do what I want to do. And his version of, of autonomy involves genocide, violating every branch of the Geneva Conventions. <laughs> Not that he's going to care about that. He's an AI. Yeah. I think he has some un- – I don't – it's so hard to discuss David. I could probably spend like eight hours just discussing David. It's so hard to understand his motivations because you 
immediately are confronted with the fact that he's an AI and you wonder what his capacity for human empathy is. That's true. And when you first meet David, he's like seen doing very human things aboard an empty ship. And then we see that he identifies a lot with Lawrence of Lawrence of Arabia. Mm -hmm. Like these are very humanizing things that we're applying to an AI who later, uh, sabotages an entire crew and then several years later sabotages another entire crew and it's just uh i i enjoy the like the idea that he's become the mad scientist and yes he could live forever he's very much like you you get the idea that he has it's hard to tell whether or not he has like created some sort of empathy for himself or you know the idea of a soul or if it's just insanity of his programming uh kind of going insane I think that tension, that kind of ambiguity behind like how much of this is intentional malevolence and Mm -hmm. how much of this is just like he's a faulty creature, kind of like how human beings are. Right. And that's super interesting. And I love that we don't get a clear cut answer, Um, but it also lends itself to like really frustrating moments where he turns Shaw into this weird like alien martyr and it's like really gross. And it was just... I, it was kind of uh, a letdown for me when, like, not just seeing that, but realizing that the entire, like, space jockey homeworld was destroyed, also by David. Also, they show it uh, on some, like, clips on YouTube um, that weren't even in the trailer. They just, like, show it before you go see the movie. My only problem with that is then you go, if you go see the movie and not see it, then it's like, well, what happened to these guys? And they just, like, say it off screen, or they, it's just, like, a little bit of dialogue. Do you mean the one where they introduce James Franco as like the lead captain and then they like he's not even in the movie, he's literally just in like promotional material? Yeah, I did not understand that at all. Why is James Franco there and then not there? Like it's one thing to kill Shaw. It's another thing to kill another character that you're gonna hype up in promotional uh, video and then just be like, no, James Franco was just couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. There's like this it's a real shame that that happens a lot with so much material from uh, the prequel series. Like, not just Covenant, but Prometheus, they have tons of cut content that should honestly be in the movie. They have, like, a lot they want to say, and maybe that's the problem. It's like, to some degree, less is more. Yeah. First Alien movie, you know, it's shown. They they show the ship. No one talks about the ship too much because it's just like, how do you talk about this? You know, if I were to describe the space jockey ship to people through this podcast, it would not function. It would be like... (laughs) I'd sound more like a crazy person. <laughs> so it was just the idea they show it. And it's just like you as the audience have to like have build that wonder. And then the rest of the crew, the reason why they're not talking about it is because they're worried about survival. They're worried about the practicality of living out in space. So that works in alien covenant. It's, it's more towards um, the idea like the, the new captain, right? And he's worried like, Oh, maybe this is a, a plot co- plotted course out for God. So he makes a decision based off faith. That yeah. They found something new all of that, you know, it, it takes away from the scientific reasons for, like, why the crew does what they do and pushes it more towards the existentialism, which does work for Alien Covenant. It's just the letdown that is very much similar to um, Alien 3, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because Alien 3 even has more of those existential moments. Um, like, they celebrate – they have, like, a, a funeral for um, Ridley and her friends and her surrogate daughter, and at the same time, it's a birth of a, a xenomorph. That's all cool, but then again, you've killed off like secondary characters that are very important to plot. For what purpose? I know. I <laughs> I love that. Um, and the original, I, the original, I guess you know, like <laughs> it's hard to explain like the original series, but it's funny how they constantly toe this line of both 
wanting to and never actually killing Ripley. Right. And it's like they want to recreate that with a new series, but it's like, it's fine. Like, Ripley's already gone. You can yeah. let us, like, hold on to something new. But then they kill Shaw in the second movie. It's like They don't realize what kind of material they have, like, how valuable these characters are that they build. Yeah. And I think that's one of their downfalls, especially in Covenant. Covenant had so much potential, but I think it just fell in the trap of, like, well, this is a horror movie and it's 2017. We need to get, you know, these tickets out. And it's like... Ridley Scott is just like, no, I want to write a story and like complete the series, but you can't do that when you're working with like big budget movies. And it is weird. It is weird that they do that with, um, you know, hyping up characters, hyping up, uh, you know, female characters that survive yeah. horror movies <laughs> and are very much like top notch, like they're making decisions, have autonomy. And then my my problem not just to like, like kill them off and it's just like they have to like replace the same character then because like uh, in Alien Covenant the new female character is very much you know a Ripley stand-in yeah Daniels Daniels and it's it's not that you can't show like the same the same characteristics in other people it's not that you can't do that but at the same time you're it, it, you're constantly backtracking instead of furthering the plot with established characters exactly and it's I keep coming back to the genre thing, but I think it's because of the horror genre and even to some extent the sci-fi genre. You feel like there are these staples and these plot devices that you need to keep repeating for people to want to watch your movie. But it's kind of like a catch-22. You need to change the mold if you want to make a successful series. You can't just keep making the same movie over and over again. Yes. It's it's very strange how that... Um repetitiveness happens alien four or alien resurrection as it calls like how to deal with that um it has its moments but it's way too like quirky <laughs> yeah it is very quirky for what it was going to to like to be serious as a horror film um alien three was like was interesting in concept like how do you defeat the xenomorph when you don't have guns you don't have high-tech weaponry you literally just have torches and sticks that was a good one that, like, all the effort that they had to take to, like, kill the alien or the xenomorph, that was all cool. Yeah. It was just, like, certain, like, just the the, the beginning half, just trying to, to hype that up, trying because they're introducing new characters we know that are not going to last. Um, and, and Ripley as a character, to, up to that point, and how it kind of ends for her, was interesting, because you get the idea, like, okay, it's over, like, this is it, you know, like, there would be no more of the species. Um it was just it was just strange because the comic I won't talk too much about the comic because it's, it's very much its own thing. Yes, yeah. As, and Prometheus and Alien Covenant have like completely retconned what the comics were about, <laughs> but it focused on the idea of just like what happens when the alien uh, when the xenomorph comes to Earth, uh, comes in the idea of like how people survive it when it like really takes off. Uh, one of the most interesting statements made in the comic was just the fact that the um, one person thinks that the, the xenomorphs are like. Uh, some sort of like existential threat, but not in the not in the sense that like why do they exist, but the idea that God created them to like kill off the entire universe like a second flood, and it just you see, you see that like Alien Covenant trying to push that, but how they're going to do it? It sounds like the, the ending of Alien Covenant was just like they're going to create the alien the xenomorph homeworld. Yeah, and that'll be the next thing that people discover or inadvertently uh, come to and like realize. Oh, this is this is not a colony. This is this is something dangerous. But the question is like, how are they going, they're going to have to reintroduce totally new cast. How are they going to make David uh, an interesting character that we don't want to just see die, but like really explore. I think the Xenomorphs are going to kill him. It's gotta be the Xenomorphs. 
Oh, definitely. Because the running theme here is creator versus creation. Mm -hmm. And David struggled so much with his own identity because he was the creation when he wanted to be the creator, especially when his creator was so malevolent. Like he just didn't give a shit about him. Right. So he wanted to be the creator of something destructive, something that could, you know, kill the things that created him. Mm -hmm. I think those are all very obvious allegories. So you can't make a character like that and not fucking make make him die by his own creation. That ha- that's how it has to work. And especially in Alien Covenant, you realize what he's building is something that he wants to be very much his own reflection. Right, yeah. Because the, the Neomorphs, who are like these strange, uh, just like white version of the of the Xenomorphs, the Neomorphs are very much like don't want to kill him. They don't immediately go to him because they realize that he's not human. Having said that, Xenomorphs do eventually, uh, in like uh, Aliens, they do kill androids. So it's a question of like, if he's building closer and closer to making the, the his prize a perfect creation, what will happen? Uh, and I, I know that they, they show a Xenomorph in Alien Covenant, but apparently those are called Protomorphs. It's, it's a, I know, there are so many different Xenomorph breeds. Um, I'm trying to remember. The only the only difference I can remember is that it's like the head shape, the head shape, and like the the xenomorphs in like the first Alien movie, they're not just organic, but like they're uh, biological uh, and and technological. Like they're cyborgs a little bit. People don't realize they have like metallic bones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That they're like cybernetic, so that leads more towards the idea like, oh, these things are also kind of like built like an android, based off an android. I don't mind that allegory. Um, but like the matter of execution, they have to learn from their past mistakes because Alien Covenant, you know, it has interesting plot points, but it's a letdown on its execution. And I don't know what they're going to do with it. I do hope Walter, I think everyone thinks Walter is dead. The, the, uh... I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think that he's still back on the planet that David was stranded on. And I think, I think he's going to learn how to, because we know the androids can learn the language with given enough time mm-hmm. and defeat and work with the technology there yes uh, with the space jockey technology so <laughs> it's possible that he gets a space jockey ship space jockey armor and goes off to to find uh david and take him out because his mission is protect the crew take out david that can be interesting they can definitely do that and that would might lead into i don't know what the next alien movie is going to be called but um that idea of like nothing is as we see as we think it is you just have Walter in an alien or a space jockey outfit for remainder of the movie or the, for the rest of the movie. And then you, the very end you realize, oh, it's him. A little Darth Vader reveal or something like that. Yeah. That would be satisfying for me. But uh, I don't know. With Ridley Scott and his, his wildly coyote effects of just like going everywhere with it, it, it could anything could happen. <laughs> well, I think this is a good point to touch on. Um, we don't know if there's going to be a next alien movie. <sighs> Um, I remember there was a lot of hassle in trying to get the funding for it because I think mm-hmm. Fox didn't want to give another prequel the green light. I think they're like, well, Covenant kind of tanked. Prometheus wasn't nearly as successful as like the first oh, man. three alien movies. <laughs> so um, I think that obviously Ridley Scott wants to continue the series. Like right. the series is his baby. And he has like a lot, I think he mentioned before that he knows how he wants the series to end and he wants to see it through completion. But you can't do that if you don't have the fucking Fox green light. Right. Um, I don't know if the series is officially off. The last I read about this was probably a year ago where they said that 
Um, there's like tentative plans for a new movie to be made, but it all kind of depends on funding. I mean, that's worth looking into though. Hmm. I mean, I know it's been two years and I've seen no promotional video, so I can definitely see that the franchise is struggling. Um, again, it's a situation where part of it, I think they got to stop fucking with their audience. Like yeah. have some main characters, like just one character who lasts for two or one to two, three, one to two characters that last for like two movies straight without dying. You, you could have something there. Stop doing the pulling of James Franco where you introduce like A-listed actors if you're not going to use them. Or at the very least, kill them off in a much better fashion. Because like... He died in a fire off screen. And it, it's... Yeah. I didn't even know it was James Franco until like I had to look up the cast and crew and realize, oh, oh, that's... And like they show some like little footage of him just like rock climbing. It's like, cool. Can, I know. <laughs> like I remember in the movie, they were referencing this fire that like you don't see on screen and how their captain died. And I got so confused because I was like, who's the captain? Because <laughs> then it's suddenly this new guy. He's the captain. I'm like, well, he's alive and he's right in front of me. What What's happening? And then she like pulls out this photo of her dead boyfriend or dead husband, you know, from rock climbing. I'm like, yeah. is that James Franco? <laughs> James Franco with your husband? <laughs> why, why, why is James Franco in this movie? Like, it just, it completely blindsided me. And I, I, I can't believe that they kept it in there. I think it's very insulting to the audience because, like, that role could be done by anyone. Yeah. Like, doing it, for, like, it's funny they did it with James Franco, but this is supposed to be a horror film. Yeah. Like, if they just have James Franco be, like, the first person to get infected, because there is some real tension, or there would be real tension when you realize that the the uh, xenomorph or how it's formed is uh, through the air, on and like the idea that it just like you know goes into someone's nose, it goes into someone's like ear, and then affects them. Yes, that's honestly mortifying. How it went from like being literally physically attacked by a xenomorph, or I, I'm sorry, being attacked by the egg sac and getting infected that way. Yeah, yeah, the face huggers. Yeah, the face huggers <laughs> versus you just breathe in some musk from mushrooms, and now you're gonna be dead. Yep. <laughs> Covenant had some of the most brutal killing scenes I've seen in any horror movie. Brutal, definitely, but it just, it's, we got to feel for these characters. Like if you show me James Franco get infected and I don't know like what's going to happen next and I'm on my like the edge of my seat, if he had to go through the, the uh, transformation process of, uh, of birthing a neomorph, that would have been terrifying. The only thing that like that is in conflict with that narrative that they show us is that they discovered this new planet, right? They realize, oh, it's perfect for us to settle on, but it's not the one that we're supposed to settle on. And they do not in any way test to see, like, they don't have any scanning equipment. They go out with just, like, an expedition if you were, like, mountain hiking. I know, right? No hazmat <laughs> suits, nothing. Like, oh, my God. They could have just had some hazmat suits on, right? And then maybe you see, like, a little, like, where their uh, breathing apparatus is. You just see, like, some acid burning that away. And, like, that would be the only hint that, like, it's in the air. That would have been fucking cool because you realize, oh, shit, you, you can't stay here at all. I know. There was so many missed opportunities with Covenant. It, it's more so the case with Covenant than with Prometheus, but the structure is there. Like there's the structure of a very good horror series and they're definitely continuing on from uh, the original Alien movie, but they just keep missing the point in some very key areas. And I think it's definitely to do with pacing, casting, and like these characters that you can't sink your teeth into. Like you had David and you had Shaw you killed off Shaw, you made David hateable. Yep. And now it's like, well, I can't even like Walter because apparently he's dead now. It's just, it, it, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of negativity, but not, it's, it's not as satisfying. Like one of the big things with Alien is you can't show the alien in broad daylight. 
yeah. the moment you show it in broad daylight in a very like wide open space, like sure, it can still outrun you and kill you, but it's not as terrifying because it's a threat you can see. Yeah. Like the, the first alien, oh my goodness, the, my favorite shot of the movie is when it, it, the, uh, one, of the, the, one of the crew members, he's just searching for it, right? They know it's loose on the ship. He finds it's uh, shedded skin. And then in the background, it plops down, but it's out of focus. Yeah. And it's perfect. It's the best shot because you just realize something is there. You don't know how big it is. You don't know how many arms it has. Nothing. <laughs> you just know there is something there. Yep. And it, it never never has to kill anyone on screen. You just realize, like, what is it doing? Where is it taking people? Why can't you find the body? All of that. And, like, they're getting up to that. But in Alien Covenant, like, you get to see what the how the uh, xenomorph sees. I hated that. I was just like, why would you show us its point of view like that? It's It feels <laughs> like they're trying to copy Predator. And that's so unnecessary. But Predator worked because... The predator is like a is you know it's a, it's a hunter yeah and it gives you the idea like oh they're being watched right now the scene where you get to see like the xenomorphs view is just in an empty hallway so it's very much just like ooh this is cool okay what's cool isn't always effective though ah like <laughs> there's you know plot relevance to the predators being able to, like you seeing how the predator sees kind of draws off the point that they're invisible and the cast can't see them mm -hmm. so it's like giving you a glimpse into where they are in each scene composition without showing you explicitly it's cool because you put it, the pieces together in your brain yeah. like that's why it works with predator it doesn't work with alien because like i think the most scary thing about the aliens is that well yeah they can hide and plain sight and like you can't see you know your death your imminent death it's more so just the pure veracity and animalistic nature of the way they kill yes like it's like i said it's visceral it's like you have no autonomy of your own body you just know once you're in the same fucking ship as a xenomorph you're dead and if it doesn't kill you right like they take you and it, it's specifically just to make more xenomorphs that's even worse it's just like way worse in the have you seen the uh deleted footage of uh the first alien where they find the captain, Ripley finds the captain, and he's like just covered in like that uh, weird type of mucus that the alien sprays yep. out, and he just points towards this um, like one of the, the the first crew members to go missing is slowly molting into an egg, yep. a face hugger egg, and it's like it's crazy. Shit. I know it's so gross, but I love that. I really yeah. love it. Plays with <laughs> I keep saying visceral. It plays with the viscerality of body horror, and yeah. I don't think. When you see gore in movies, I feel like it's just supposed to be like in your face shock horror. But like with Alien, that's the existential kind of horror that you get. It's right. the body horror is like being reminded of what it would feel like if your body was transformed into like a vessel for an alien. That's crazy. And just the concept of, you know, it's all shown. It's, it's never really explained. The only thing that we first get for a description in uh, Alien was uh, by the, the psycho cyborg who or, or android, sorry who um, just say, states it's the perfect organism. Like, you can't win. And that just adds to the whole threat of, like, what it does. And you realize it's just trying to create, like everyone else. But its version of creation, you know, is devoid of humanity. And how they design the xenomorph is supposed to be very inhuman. It has no eyes. So you can never, like, feel for the creature. And you're not supposed to. Like, it's supposed to be this unrelentless killing machine or just, like, breeding machine. Like, there was no in-between for it. And it's terrifying. And it works. It works for the first two Alien movies. And when they introduce the, uh, even though Aliens is a, uh, a sequel that's only, arguably better depending on your definition for action and horror, what's crazy in that is that they introduce the concept of like the Alien Queen. Yeah. 
And the idea that like once these things start up, like it's not just like they go from like they make one, then they make another and another. No, it's it's not like zombies. It's like they make one and then eventually Alien Queen is born. There's a structure, a hierarchy. It's almost very human. And I think that's the thing that people don't like, mm -hmm. you know, people watching the series, but also the characters within this universe. They don't like that xenomorphs can be pretty human. They have they have like this infrastructure, like you have the workers and then you have like the queen xenomorph that's producing mm -hmm. more of them. Like, that's cool. It's very cool. And it, it's all shown like uh, the when the alien queen, I think in Aliens, um, Ripley, she's there with the flamethrower and she threatens like the eggs. Yeah. And the alien queen just looks at like her offspring is like, you know, don't attack her. And some people think that uh, it's, it's never been uh, truly uh, explained, but it's the idea that maybe that they have a psychic link or yeah. I think yeah. it's just the idea of like a predator, you know, like, you know, when the mama bear looks at the cubs and be like, don't do that. They listen. All of that is really cool. And then it's just the fact that like how they grow, like their environment, right, grows around them. <laughs> it does add to the idea like they're they're perfect in, in the sense of like what they're built for. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the, you get into uh, the, the Vietnam phase with the characters going into uh, a fight that they're not prepared for and fighting an enemy who is very much <laughs> determined. Yep. All of that is cool. All of that works. The characters, every character I would argue in Aliens has um, development. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about it was like, even though you get these characters developed, then they're killed off. Yes, and in usual usual story structure, you don't develop a character if they're not important. But in a horror movie. Uh, such as aliens or predator, you develop them, but then you like you know which ones you're going to take out because then it's like no one is safe. Yes, and that oh my goodness, who is it? The game over guy. <laughs> game over man. <laughs> I know. Like, He's just dragged down yeah, by yeah. like fifty of them. <laughs> that is so funny. That's what I like about the. I'm going to say the first two movies because okay. I, I mean you know the third one in Resurrection like oh we don't have know. to talk about it. They, they don't exist. <laughs> That's what I like so much about the first movies. They establish stakes. Like, um, the first Alien movie, there's such a strong build-up to the reveal of the alien. Like, you don't mm -hmm. see it until, like, the last, what, 20 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. So everything is character development. And you come to like these certain characters. And that's how horror should be. There should be stakes. Like, you don't just kill people because you're supposed to kill people. Kill them because we like them, and they're going to like get in the way of a successful ending to this movie. You know, like yeah. where everyone's happy and alive, like George R. R. Martin. Oh yes, <laughs> just just like him, just murdering people left and right. And it's I will say though, like um, how the first Alien movie is, is put together. You know, very little score. Uh, most of it, the, like even though there are characters that we enjoy, the environment is such a big portion of that. Because even though it has a very uh, the alien environment, but it also has the industrial like human ships, which feel claustrophobic, just like industrialized and like impossible to maneuver. But you know that like that's just built by humans. But it's also terrifying because like if you get lost in that, the characteristic of the environment for Alien in itself is is its own is, is its own person, and they need to continue doing that. Alien Covenant, right, it showed a spaceship. It showed stuff that, like, we identify with as far as, like, you know, maybe tactical gear, uh, stuff that we saw as, like, rock climbing gear or exploration. But it's got to go further than that. Like, yeah. it has to be – you're on a different planet, an alien planet. Show it as alien. Show it as something that, like, is bizarre. And then show the, you know, the ships as something, you know, claustrophobic built by, like, a, a malicious company. 
all of that leads to us like feeling for these characters in crammed environments. And that's actually one of the hardest things about sci-fi. Making a sci-fi movie, you have to do explain to your producers, your, uh, your the people in charge of budgets and whatnot, this is a hallway. This is a door. Because a door is not just a door in a sci-fi movie. Yep. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why we don't have a lot of sci-fi movies. Or how it's been explained to me. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a marketer. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, obviously, neither of us have, like, any experience in the actual industry. But, you know, as outsiders looking in, right? Especially as artists looking in, like... Mm-hmm. We do have some understanding of budgeting and uh, restrictions and making art. Yeah. And I don't know, like, there's a lot of CGI in the last uh, two Alien movies, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, and you've got to go more of a practical route. Yeah, yeah. What's the, the Dark Crystal? Like, they wanted to do mostly puppetry, but there is some CGI. And it's so minute mm-hmm. that you can't even tell that there's CGI there. And it looks realistic and naturalistic like the original Dark Crystal did with just puppets. Nice. So, like, you can, if I remember correctly, um, uh, I think in Prometheus and Covenant, the xenomorph is um, a man in a suit. Okay. And um, they just put CGI on top of it. All right. I'm pretty sure that's what they did. And and that's okay because having a fully CGI'd um, xenomorph like they did in Alien Three doesn't work. Like you, it's a situation where audiences, you know, they can tell. They can tell when yeah, something is CGI'd. Absolutely. And it's it's just the fact that you know you you have this you have to have a feel a, a certain tone over an Alien movie for it to work. And practical effects nowadays are insane. Yeah. Even though they never used any of them for the movie uh, The Thing made in 2011, they made a bunch of them, decided not to use them for some reason, and they look horrifying. Exactly. They look almost real. Like if you just took any of the practical effects that you see in, in Alien and you just, or even in The Thing and just toss them out in the street for like a midnight prank, people would believe that's a real goddamn alien. Like, and it is more expensive, but like, you know, you can't, you can, you can't be cheap with making the Xenomorph. Yeah. You can't cut corners. You, oh, definitely not. Like, that is probably one of the most iconic images in horror. Like, most iconic monsters in horror. You can't cut corners. And even though you're not going to fully show it, it has to It has to feel real. The feel of it is very important. Otherwise, it's not going to function. Okay, I just remembered. Um, <laughs> not in Prometheus, but in Covenant, it is a guy in a suit. I don't think it is in Prometheus. Okay, all right. And in Prometheus, it's, it's shown, like, you know, towards the end. Yes. I, I am kind of curious, like, what that uh, uh, xenomorph would become, because you know it's just on the planet by itself, so it either dies off or someone finds it. I, I think that specific one is called Decon. Decon, okay. Yeah. And it's, it's made from a, a space jockey. Yep. And they keep on hinting at that, like, because in, um, in the first Alien, you find the space jockey and it has a hole in its chest. Yep. And you're like, wait a minute, what did that? And it was the idea, like, okay, it was made and probably died off, but what does a space jockey xenomorph look like? <laughs> is it more dangerous? Is it equally as dangerous? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, considering how big and buff and scary space jockeys are, you'd imagine that those aliens would be pretty formidable. Oh, yeah. And the space jockeys, so this is one thing for Prometheus that, like, really irked me, because you have to go behind the scenes or get, watch the extended cut. Yep. But in theaters, they did not give the full dialogue with the space jockey. And Waylon? With Waylon. Yep. Because in the in the extended version, you learn that they have a whole conversation about, you know. Yes, they do. Yep. And and uh, uh, Waylon says, like, you know, I want more life. And the, the uh, space jockey, 
who's hostile towards humans, but is wondering like, why does this person, why does this man deserve more life more than anyone else? Yes. And he explains like, oh, I built David from nothing. Like I'm a God, you're a God. We should be gods together. And that explains what does he, what the uh, uh, space jockey does next, right? Because he looks at David and just rips his head off because he's just like, yeah, you made this guy, but he's still just a man. I'm like physically stronger. I can like rip people's heads off. And then he just starts murdering everybody. That was cool, but how they showed it in the uh, in the regular cut or the cinematic release, he just he just wakes up, hears a question, kills everyone. Yeah, like there was no explanation or even hint of an explanation there, and it, it's it's scary. But at the same time, it's just like if you have it, show it. If you if you don't have it, don't make the movie. But you made the movie and you had it, so why take it away? And see, I understand cuts in some instances, like a movie's too long or this plot point doesn't make enough sense to keep it in the movie. Like, I understand that in some instances you need to make that cut. Right. Why in the world did they make that cut? Because re- I hate saying humanizes because I don't think you're necessarily supposed to humanize the... Um, space jockeys. The space jockeys. <laughs> but I do like what the... It, it rounds out the profile of their species. Like, you realize there's more motivation behind who they are other than just like this extinct uh, species that they're trying to resurrect. Right. Because Waylon wants to be immortal. Like once you have that dialogue between him and Waylon, you realize like, Oh, he is smart. Like, obviously this was an advanced civilization because they created the original aliens and now they're dead, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I love that dialogue. And it is such a shame that they cut it out. I honestly believe they could have made uh, that could have been the halfway point for the film. Uh, when they resurrect the space jockey, or even maybe like just one third through the film, they resurrect the space jockey, and the rest of the film is them trapped on a planet, trying to hu- being hunted by the space jockey, because it knows how to use the goo, it knows how to use all the equipment there, and it's physically stronger and smarter than uh, 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 you know Shaw and the rest of the crew. That would have been terrifying. Like it was cool to see it, you know, get up and like just start killing people, but then they, you know, it's only ten minutes. You could have made it 40 minutes of the movie just be them being hunted by the space jockey. I think that's what they tried to do with Covenant. They wanted to equate David to one of the space jockeys, kind of like this uh, creator that you know nothing about and just has this insane, deep uh, malice towards humankind and like trying to fight him off, stave him off for an entire movie. Mm -hmm. I think it makes sense that with Prometheus, they kind of annexed that part of the movie where the engineer goes ballistic and tries killing everyone to just the, you know, latter part of the movie, like the uh, Dinamon. Right. I think that makes sense. Um, I can't really fathom a movie where it's just the engineer fighting the whole time because it feels so out of character for an alien movie. There needs like, it's such a big bulking, like (laughs) action packed character when it's usually just like kind of, you know, skulking in the shadows. You never know when the xenomorph is going to strike. Right. And and that would be a departure. Uh, And I think it would have only worked for Prometheus because Prometheus, when you're right, they didn't say it was an alien movie outright. Yes. They, yeah. they kind of sugarcoated it with like, you know, ooh, Wayland Incorporated and stuff like that. That was cool. So they could have done that with the Promethe- with the, the space jockey then and there. And it would have been like, okay, this is something new. This is something different. And at the end be like, oh, there's more to come. And like, yes. it could have done it. it. It could have been cool. Like I can <laughs> visualize it when you explain it. But but now I don't want to see it. I know, right? Like <laughs> they, they, they already uh, closed that door behind them, unfortunately. I don't know. It's hopefully they they do more. Um, you know, people still want to see alien movies, but you constantly kind of have to fight for like 
what you want to see because it's either budgeting constraints, it's either people uh, you know have a great idea, a lot of potential, but no execution. Just get like David Fincher or, or, or someone who you know just knows how to capture people's eye. He would probably use too much CGI, but he's good about it. So you know what? Like I'm willing to compromise on some things if you just can execute. If they can just execute the right way of doing it. I, I think that Ridley Scott has the right vision. I think it's just when there are other people that have their hands in the pot, that's when things get kind of screwed up. Because Prometheus definitely reignited the fire for Alien. I would yeah. definitely say that it, it did that. The people that love Alien, they probably love Prometheus. And like they're like, oh, now I want to go back and watch the original. <laughs> so I don't know what happened along the way with Covenant, because Covenant definitely had a lot going for it. Um, and I want to see the series continued. It would be a shame to kind of see it drop off just out of nowhere when we have two decent, I'll say decent, a tentative <laughs> decent movies after the, the third and the fourth ones. Okay, so I do definitely agree with you. I definitely agree with you on the existentialness in all of the, the, the xenomorph goodness. And something we were talking about a little bit earlier was just a, a situation of um, like the, the average horror movies how they are very much like to a certain note. They're either horror slasher. Um, a lot of horror movies involve motherhood and yes. paranormal activity. Yep. <laughs> and there is sometimes it's done good, like in the Babadook. Yep. But that shouldn't be the norm. There's other ways to do things. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just want to see more sci-fi horror. That's my main thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Um, I wouldn't come on here to talk about aliens if I wasn't really into sci-fi horror. Um, and we were talking about this earlier, but I think that uh, what makes sci-fi so palatable or so much more exciting than other subgenres of horror is how tangible it is. Because it's based in scientific progress and technological progress. And I don't remember the name of the uh, theory, but hmm. um, there is a theory, not a scientific theory, but there's a theory posited that we are about to hit a technological wall where, you know, technological growth is exponential. Yes. And it's about to get so high so fast that it's like we're hitting a wall and it's no longer fathomable. I, I've heard a similar thing. And it, it is crazy because every year, you know how our technology gets smaller and smaller, yep. lighter and faster. Well, they say that, you know, you can only make something so small where at one point you'd have to like, the only way you get any smaller is if you could program an atom, which to the best of our knowledge, we can't do yet. But imagine. If we could do that, like once we get to that point, and this is my my problem with technology in general nowadays because it's terrifying that we have all this stuff that we're building. It's getting smaller. It's getting denser. And like if you could just manipulate atoms, right, then in theory you could just build anything. And then you have the problem of you've made this tool. How are people going to use it? Because right now, just with, I would argue, social media, with like what we're building, um, not just on the internet, but with like for computer AI, all of that is getting, is like it built in the private sector. We don't really control it. We don't have laws that govern it. Uh, it's government funded. And I, like not to get mm -hmm. too conspiratorial on here, but right. if it's government funded, there's some amount of it that is, you know, kept away from us. Like it's behind a screen and understandably oh, yeah. so, but that lends itself to a lot of fear. Like what are they hiding? And there, it is a situation where the government is hiding something. Um, just, just as a, a general rule of thumb, I've heard that whatever technology we have nowadays, the government is usually 10 years ahead of us. Yes, I've heard that rule before too. Because it's the idea that you just have to be prepared for what's being built out there. But my argument towards that, and, and not to get too technological or, or away from the point, is just the laws we have to govern technology are not keeping up 
with the growth. <laughs> All the laws that govern social media right now, like Facebook and Twitter, were made in the 1990s. They didn't even know what the internet was going to be back then. And the circumstance, like what you see with the uh, Alien Covenant and what you see with um, um, the Whalen co Company, like the Whalen Incorporated, if that's how they, they end their slogan, is, is like the malicious intent of what happens when technology outpaces our morals. Because you start building things for profit. Well, what becomes profitable when you build everything? Oh, life itself. So that's why they start building androids. That's why they start building or wanting to make the xenomorphs. Because they're the perfect weapons. It's just they want to be both a creator and destroyer. And that is terrifying because they, they get away with it. They're doing it. Uh, uh, that's the basis of the existential threat of technological growth. And I think that's why so many people are afraid of like nanotechnology and AI and yes. nuclear weapons. It's like how you can simultaneously commercialize and weaponize science. People talk about how they don't want science in the military. And I can understand why. It, and that's why movies like Alien Covenant and Prometheus um, work so well, because they play off of those very tangible fears. Because part of the, the circumstance in, in military is you build things for security, but that means testing things, oftentimes inhumanely. Now, every science, I don't know, scientific community is going to need some sort of government funding, but building things strictly for security lead to, you know, you... you People become expendable. You know, certain people are liability. They take them out, and that's what you see in Prometheus. Yep. Uh, Alien Covenant is kind of is it doesn't involve the Whalen Company as much, but is the reaction right? Yes, it's the aftermath. The aftermath, like because if and this is something I've always wondered, like if you to if you raise a child based off of like what the government does, you know how the government experiments, how like maybe they do things that are considered malicious or in this in the the sake for national security over liberty. If you raise a child that way, that child's going to be a psychopath. <laughs> like they're going to treat people as liabilities. They're going to like, you know, make alliances, but not really have a heart. And David seems to be very much the reaction to how Waylon treated him over the years. And so it's there, like they have something there, how they flush it out. I don't know, but there's so much good juicy material right now that might get all too real. <laughs> <laughs> As it should. I really think that that's the defining feature of art, and in this case, movies. It's mm -hmm. how real you can make it. And we're we're in the 21st century. You know, 2019, Blade Runner happened around this time. Akira happened around this time. Like we are at the point where we are very much living in a uh, less of a science fiction world and very much in a science reality. The Martian was all based off real science, except for the beginning part, but I don't want to get into the Martian right now. <laughs> Matt Damon will be for another day. But it's a circumstance of like, this is technology that is no longer something that we think isn't going to happen. It's a matter of when. Like they say space travel is possible. It is possible potentially to clone people because they've done it with, with uh, goats. They just haven't done it with people because, you know, they don't want, the question is who gets to play God? So these are real questions. And it's going to get more real every year. So I, I think I agree with you immensely on the idea that more and more alien is going to become more and more um, essential. Yes, absolutely. To the culture. And it's just, if there's not, a, if there's, it's, even if it bombs badly at the box office, make it anyway. Just do it. Blade Runner has a cult following and it, it did terrible twice in 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> oh, poor Blade Runner. It'll never get its due, but I love the history around it. <laughs> I completely agree with that. All right. So I think, I think we've covered it. Is there anything you want to end on a note for uh, Ash towards, towards everybody who, who enjoys the, the xenomorphs? Well, um, I'm with you. Uh, you know, 
I fight tooth and nail over the <laughs> appreciation of Prometheus and Covenant. I know they weren't perfect movies, but I'm with you if you're an alien fan that loves the prequels. And I'm with you if you're an alien fan that loves the series with all of its up and downs. I can agree with that. All right. I think that'll be it for this episode. Stay frosty, people. Enjoy your aliens. They will be around sooner than later, despite that we didn't find any of them at Area 51. <laughs>